Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone. Hope your summer is going well. If you're listening to this on the day the episode drops, I'm currently in Philadelphia talking to other podcasters and producers at Podcast Movement. If you have a second favorite podcast to this one, there's a good chance the host is there with me. Drop me an email and let me know who that is. I'd love to meet them. I'll tell them you said hi. I'm traveling more than usual these days. I just got back from Memphis and I will be hosting a panel at the CNEN Media Group's marketing event after the ACS meeting in Boston on October 22nd. I know that's a lot of letters in that soup. And um, of course, I will be at the ACPLS meeting in San Francisco in October. So I hope to meet you on one side of the country or the other. Now, I have a great episode for you today, so let's dive right in. Today, my guest is Dr. Dennis Fink. Dennis is a campaign manager and social media channel expert at Kyogen. Before that, he was a co-founder and CEO of Mediomix. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today and um, about what they're doing now at at Kyogen in terms of, of marketing and how their marketing is organized and why they're doing it the way they do that. So, Dennis, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think this is going to be really fun. Um, You and I talked a little bit before, but everything we're going to cover today is something I think that's relevant to every marketing department who, in my experience, um, goes through little reorganizations about how they handle things pretty frequently. (laughs) And So hearing from someone who's um, in the middle of that kind of will be helpful. So tell us a little bit. So you had your own little startup agency, right? Called Media Mix. Right. And you moved into Kyogen and their kind of new structure. So what's the difference between that small agency you had and working at, you know, a large international corporation? So yeah, let's let's start after my PhD. So I did a PhD in marine microbiology and I actually wanted to quit science and go into science communications. So help the scientists to bring their science across to other scientists, to the public. And so I co-founded Mediomics, my own small science communication company with a friend of mine. And I did everything that is related to science communication, so video, websites, animation. And then after five years, I so last last October actually, I made the transition from the CEO of my own little uh, startup that had four employees to a global biotech company here in here in Germany that has five thousand employees world worldwide. Um, and now I'm there, the campaign manager. So um, what is the biggest difference of course is um that when you have your startup or when you have your own small company you do everything yourself so you have to become an expert basically in everything because you don't have money in the the beginning for a lot of employees or even external work so you learn a lot and you're a lot of so um you're often outside of your comfort zone but this actually means that you actually learn a lot so what's the difference now um, working for Kyogen is is that this work is distributed among experts. So we basically have an expert for everything. And this is, of course, something that is new to me 
because I like very much the the whole approach. Like when I when I have an idea how to reach a customer, um, there is an idea in my head that involves an image, a text, like everything that makes a campaign. But I have to realize we now have experts basically for every step. And this is a good thing because um, as you can imagine, maybe you, when you did your first podcast, it took you maybe a couple of hours and the workflow wasn't so streamlined. Um, but now, I guess, because you have been doing a lot of them, it is rather easy and highly efficient. And this is the idea um, when you have a lot of experts there. And also, another point is that at Kaijin, I can do global campaigns. So in my own little company, I was mostly working for, for regional re re requesters, so a lot of them just came from Germany. And now I can really do global marketing campaigns and have people react to campaigns um, from North America, from Europe, Asia, like everywhere. And this is, this is really cool. And I would say the last point is the, the team, because I would say I only had four people and I, um, and I always like to work among a huge team and to be able to exchange ideas on eye level. And this is exactly what I have there. So we have an, an open space office. I can run around and talk to people from different areas to the data scientists to um, content creators. I can, so all the doors are open and it's, it, it basically feels like a huge team. And this is what I like a lot. And what is actually funny, what is still the same as in, in my own little company is that I still want to do great campaigns for, for the requesters. And in my own little company, the requesters were the customers from the outside, and now my customers are inside, so inside the, um, the huge company. So this is actually one thing that did, that did not change, making really cool campaigns for the requesters. So Kaijin recently as you tell me, reorganized your marketing structure. First of all, what, how was it before and, and how is it now? Yeah, so in these huge companies, you basically have either a centralized marketing um, approach or a decentralized one. And in Kyogen, um, before I started, they had the decentralized approach which means that they that the marketing was executed by separate marketing teams. So in business areas, in regions, in other departments like the e-commerce. So every every region, every business partner, or maybe even every department might have had their own experts. And marketing was executed separately, which meant that the people there um, had to do a lot of things. So uh, the people in the business area were doing marketing and in the regions. And now, or just when I started, and I just started in this transition to a centralized marketing structure, which we call the Kaya Marketing Agency, the difference is we have this centralized expertise. So we have experts in, in specific tasks, and they basically do that all day. So they do event management and only event management or only search engine optimization optimization they do social media they do demand generation campaign management and they only do this and this is in a centralized way nice and what can you tell me about the reason for the change what did um the organization what do they expect to be better because of going to this um, approach yeah sure so 
as I said, the, the experts can now focus on specific tasks. So they can really focus their efforts. And what is important, we now have this one global marketing team, and this is seen as an enabler, not as a controller. So it's really like an internal agency. It's like having, having an agency inside a company, and we get internal requests from global business teams. And these, these global business teams, they consist of people from the business area, from region marketing, even from sales. And we get the request from them and we are a single point of contact. So it's like having a key account manager and an agency. And this single point of contact um, can, can then also dis distribute resources um, across the, the team. And we really focus on this knowledge exchange and talking about best practices, sharing and learning. So really this centralized approach, but not not controlling um, the whole thing, but really taking it up and together with the requester, enabling every campaign. Okay, that's, that's a great transition to my next question, which is <laughs> now, so you're getting requests from different regions, different business units, sales, product marketing, I'm sure. So how do you... Who does the um, deciding of what the priorities are and, and servicing each of those um, sometimes complementary efforts, but sometimes com competing <laughs> priorities? Yeah, that is a great question, Chris. So as I said, we have the so-called global business teams, and they have people from all the areas, like from the, the business area, regional sales, like really everyone is on the round table. And then in every global business teams, they are, for example, in genomics or in human identification, in immune risk response. So they are segmented by the audiences. And every global business team has this um, core team of all the, the members, but there's always one senior business partner, so one point of contact. And then this is the one who we actually get in, get in touch with or who, who decides what has to happen. And of course, in an ideal world, <laughs> I would say you have marketing plans. So we have global marketing plans and they break down into must-wins, break down into initiatives and then into campaigns. And in an ideal world, you will have this plan, let's say for 2019, what you want to do. Um, and the request to the Kai Marketing Agency should not be a surprise because we are also involved. A lot of our work is consulting work, actually. And so um, a request should not be a surprise. But of course, as you can imagine, maybe a campaign runs really good and the requester comes and says, hey, I really want to do more in social media or can I have an extra emailer or a flyer or anything? So of course, we also have... Um, additional request to this marketing plan and to this overarching thing that that we laid out and what we so what we really try to do and have as a core value of this internal agency is to be pra pragmatic so not to say hey we have this global plan and you come now with your request and it's not in there so i'm i'm sorry so it's so it's really like trying to um, so of course we check the priority and the urgent of the request and if it's aligned to the strategy. But we always want to make sure that um, we do great campaigns for the request. It's really like if you have an agency, 
of course, there comes um, a request that is not inside your plan or is not in the prioritization, but we really try and make it as pragmatic as possible. And of course, then educate the requesters that so that hopefully next time it doesn't happen that often again, so that we're also on the way um, to this ideal world that I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm smiling at that whole answer because I've been, you know, on your end of those kinds of requests. And the things that stand out to me are, um, obviously, you guys put together a plan, you know, a year ahead of time about what your goals are and so on. And surprisingly, I'll tell you my experience at a couple of the places I worked, it was everybody, you know, could, it was easy for them to say, here's what our business unit or whatever wants to do next year. What was surprisingly hard was to get someone at a level higher than that to say, Here are, here's who should get the priorities. Mm. Or, for example, to say, we should devote X part of our budget to this group and X part to that group and X part to that group. It was really just everybody submitting their wish list and fighting it out. <laughs> so I think it's really and, – and when I asked for that, um, and, I, and I did get it um, – Eventually, that made everything so much easier on my end to exactly. say, okay, this is how much I can devote to that group, and, and that works out. And then, as you say, having that plan that everybody agreed on at the beginning of the year, when special requests come up, you have the ability to say, you know, that's not in our plan, that's not a priority, or that does fit with our plan and we have capacity and we can do it or we'll work it in when we get a chance, whatever it is, but you have something that you can fall back on and explain your decision about. And it, you're not stuck there, you know, appearing to the requester that you're just saying yes exactly. or no based on how you feel. Exactly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a huge one. I think, I mean, everybody will understand that. I hope everybody gets to do that. Um, so um, give me an example of a recent campaign that y you all did, how it was put together, how um, the workflow goes out to the different experts on your team and, and yeah, how it sure. worked out. So one campaign I really much liked was done by my friend and colleague Ezra. She's a campaign manager in our team and it was a Valentine's Day campaign. So of course it took place at Valentine's Day. It was a really good example for the cooperation across all these all these different areas and teams because the initial, let's say, raw idea for the campaign came from regional marketing. And then we jointly developed this in the agency. So we then came up with an idea or crafted it and say, okay, let's, let's do something innovative. Let's, let's, um, not go for the classic maybe approach and, um, try to get a lot of sales leads, which I, I know as is often the main goal of marketing campaigns, but in this one, we said, okay, let's have an, uh, let's have an approach where we um, want to generate as much customer engagement as possible and do that only via social media. So it was, this was a really huge success. So we had um, a lot of user generated content. Like, I don't know if you ever tried it, but I tried it with my own agency. It's really hard actually to do get people to um, create content for you even if you have a strong incentive it is rather hard and we asked them to do their own pictures in the lab 
for this balance edge stake contest and it worked really well so we exceeded our expectation and that of the requesters and for for the first mobile only um it was a really a, a real great uh, success um Another example I can give is um, a demand generation campaign. So when you think in this um, funnel model at the top of the funnel where people maybe don't even know yet if they want to buy a product or if they have a need, um, you need to do a lot of demand generation. And we also have a team for, for that. And what is often used there is a w webinar. So what we would do there is, first of all, we look for specific educational content. And then ask ourselves who, who would be a specific audience. Then this webinar gets developed and we only then invite the, the um, um, relevant audience. And we do this by, let's say, a classic emailer, which then is coming from our own database. But of course, we want to also get new, new people in that we don't have in our database yet. So we use a lot of social media, for, for example, or... Another example would be like a full-blown yearly promotion that we have. It's the Cyber Monday campaign. And then, so this is really big and the customers are actually waiting for this. It's like this Amazon Prime Day uh, that, that was just recently going on. It's like really crazy and it takes, so it yeah. takes a lot of time, like aligning all the products that go in and the discount levels and then creating a lot of buzz in the internet. And for this, you need an innovative approach and a really holistic multi-channel campaign, like really using every tools and every expert that you have at hand to actually make this Cyber Monday campaign. And this is also great fun. It's a lot of work, but it's also great fun. That one strikes me as just a brilliant idea because um, Cyber Monday, I'm assuming you're talking about like the first Monday in December or Correct. the last Monday in November, right? Correct. And so a lot of companies... Um, you know, if their fiscal budgets end at the end of the year, requesters were always coming to me like, what can we do to like, yeah, one, spend our own budget before it's taken away from us at the end of the year and two, get them to spend their budget on us. Exactly. And so that's the perfect timing. So it leaves you a month to close whatever it is. And, and uh, so that seems smart. So I want to go back to the Valentine's campaign because yes. you said it was social media and just engagement. I want, can you give me more specifics about what the campaign was asking for yeah. and and what, what you got? So we wanted to actually um, have the people engage with yet and send us images how much they love science and love being in the lab, doing what they do all day with their teammates. So we asked them to express their love to science. Um, and so we asked them for content, uh, video or photo content, being in the lab, in their team, doing what they love, using, of course, a specific hashtag so we could find these images. So we really wanted to make it as easy for them as possible so they could just go on every social media channel, use a hashtag. They didn't have to send this image anyway. We would automatically grab this and it would be a part of a, a huge picture wall on the internet so where people could come and look at all the images and also rate them and like them. And so it was really a nice success because I think it's a common theme and I think the scientist is not often asked 
what they love about research. They are often asked to deliver results and to get their science right. But if you ask them what they really love and to share this passion, they were actually quite happy. As I said, they really exceeded the expectation that, that we had. And because I was a scientist myself, I could really relate to this. And I was happy to be a part of the campaign because I was there when we created it in the lab. And I was actually part of the video together with my colleague Stella. So we were the um, the, the picture couple of this campaign and it was a, a lot of fun just yeah nice yeah that's great I mean you gave me a great idea honestly for my swimming podcast so <laughs> um, and so tell me a little bit about how budgets are managed so I'm imagining for example the different regions or business units have budgets that they spend with you in some way but how does that work Yes. Yeah, so, of course, we hope that they spend a lot of budget with us. And, of course, I can't go into detail of the numbers, but what I can tell, so the, the, the budget comes still as before from the business areas and the region marketing. And the thing is that we, as an agency, we don't have our own budget. So, we need the requests from the global business teams to actually be active and create a good campaign. So, it is our job. As I said, a lot of this job is consulting to actually pitch ideas. And so if I have a great idea for a campaign, I don't have any budget lying around. So I need to make sure that in the global business teams that I can talk to, I pitch this idea and I convince a requester that this is aligned to the strategy and is really a good idea to actually get to, to the target audience. And this is also really co comparable to, to this agency model and the work I've done before. So of of course, an agency can do its own campaigns, but most of the time you need the budget from your requester. So it's your job to actually come up with things that they like and actually deliver and show afterwards that you met the expectations um, so that hopefully in the future they will again come to you and provide you with, uh, with the right budget. Here's what I like about that. It seems a, a great way... The fact that you're pitching ideas, and so I, I understand they have budget, and you're essentially spending it on their behalf. So they, you know, if you decide on a project, yes. you have to figure out what are all of these things going to cost, and then you pay whoever it is. I mean, you must have outside video and whatever producers help you sometimes, and and mm -hmm. or where you place that content costs money. So, but I like the idea that. <clears throat> You have to be a creative thinker and actually go out and pitch ideas rather than them coming to you. And I'm just thinking on, in terms of keeping your teams engaged, it would be a really fun model um, yeah, to so say, it's, have so this freedom to do it. Yeah, so, and it really keeps you on your feet. Like, um, of course, the global business teams come to us with requests and they already have ideas and this is all inside the plan. But um, if you can... Um, approach them with your own ideas, this is doing something with your own motivation that you're not just reacting to the requester and waiting for campaigns, but you're actively in there. And my motivation comes from, from my ideas also. So this is really a great, great part that really keeps you on your feet, that you're not only reactive, but you actually have the chance to turn your own ideas into something great if you're able to align that with the, with the ideas of the GBT, uh, the global business team. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that would be great for the engagement of your team and employee retention yeah. and um, keeping people 
excited about their jobs all the time. So that's a nice little transition into my next question is um, how you decide to try something different with either a campaign or social and and what's that process if you want to test out something that um, Kaijin has never done before? So if we want to do something something special, and of course we try to do this for every campaign, but the first thing that we look at is the customer. So we try and do it really customer-centric. We put ourselves in the mindset of the customer, which for myself, uh, luckily, is a little bit easy because I've been a scientist myself. I've been working with Kaijin products my whole scientific life, and I love them. So it's, it's maybe a little bit easier for me, but it's like really all of us, we try to be the customer, first one. And the other one, we really try to add value with the marketing because no one wants uh, spam. Like no one wants just another email, even not another marketing email. Like I hate getting marketing emails. And now I'm in the spot of actually um, crafting those and actually putting them into a campaign. So we want to really make sure that with the campaigns, we add value. And you can, nowadays, you can only do this with innovative campaigns. So that means you have um, the right content for the right target audience in the right channel at the right time. So this is really, it's almost like a game that you can study and that you can master. But there are so many puzzle pieces, which I find really exciting because there are a lot of people who think that they can predict things and that they have just a drawer that they can open and then they take out a campaign. But it's really like every campaign is is new and there are just so many puzzle pieces that... Um, it really has to fit in the end and it really has to be engaging content and content of the value. Otherwise, you don't have a chance among this noise of content that uh, each and every one of us is seeing every yeah. day. Yeah, good. All right, last question. Um, obviously, lots of internal customers requesting things. And as you said, they come to you and they already have ideas. And I know that sometimes... Uh, like you say, they have ideas and they think something's going to work just in a certain way and or that they only want um, lead generating campaigns. And <laughs> we're going to spend our money here. Like, why don't we just do Google ads or whatever it is? Um, how do you educate them on the need for, for content or um, effort at different parts of the funnel or whatever it is that they need to understand? Yeah, this is also a great question, Chris. So as I said, so my job as a campaign manager, at least 50% of the job is consulting. So talking to people um, about experience, about best practices, about expectations, and only the other 50% is project management and actually setting up campaigns, automating canvases and compiling all the inputs. It's a lot about expectation management. So when when I talk to a requester and what is a good example is uh, social media. So I think uh, Kaijin only really recently, I think beginning of last year, really started with social media to actually use this for marketing. And I think in a lot of uh, small, medium-sized companies or even the big ones, or especially the big ones, this is the same. So they now get in touch with social media and they ask like, what's the return of invest? Like if a requester comes to me and say, okay, I think I want to have social media in my campaign. What do I get for my euros or my dollars? So if I put that in, what do I get out exactly? How many leads? What do I get? <laughs> and so um, I have to make sure 
that it's that I explained that social media is only a puzzle piece, so that it's a, it's a mixture of things that, that we do. And what is really important is that we relate to experiences. So we are all human beings. We have all experiences. Might be someone likes Twitter, someone likes classic email. It is a matter of taste, but it should not be in marketing. Like we have numbers in marketing, and I can show these numbers and then can say, look, there has been other campaigns like the, the one that you're asking for. And from that experience, I can tell you this is the right channel mix for your target audience. And I can tell you this is the right budget. If you want so-and-so many leads, in the end, we first have to do awareness. We actually have to get people at the top. We cannot just throw sales campaigns at them or lead generation forms because they, they will just not leave the contact details for us just like, like that. We have to engage with them. We have to understand the customer. And this is a process. And for this process, I recommend, based on the experience that I have from earlier campaigns, this channel mix, this budget, and so on and so on. So it's really... So what is really important is the evaluation of the campaign, the reports, the debrief for the customer. So it's not just doing a great campaign and then moving to the next one. It's taking the time to learn from things that work and things that did not work. Talk with the requesters and really make sure that we ourselves learn so that we can exceed the expectations in the future. Nice. Well, Dennis Fink, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your willingness to kind of um, open up the or pull back the curtain on how you guys are doing this. I know that, um, something that every company goes through, like, should we centralize or decentralize? And I've been at companies where they told me in the past, you know, every two years it goes one way and then the other and one way and the other. So, um, yeah, but round and round, you've given us a really nice picture of how it's working for you guys and, and the mindset behind it. And I really love um, you mentioned several times this consultative aspect, like you're, you're just in there and trying to help all the requesters in your company meet their goals. And uh, yeah, it's just a great example. And I think it's going to be helpful for people, whatever they decide to do. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I think so too. And thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Every company struggles with this centralized versus decentralized approach to marketing communications. I think the trend is to go centralized, but nevertheless, I hope that Dennis's story was helpful to you and how you're thinking about it. Your company has a story to be told, probably many stories, and people want to hear them. And there's no better way than a podcast. That might seem overwhelming and difficult because it's a relatively new media. Actually, the media is old. It's a recorded voice. The channel is new and customers are tuning in every day. You should be there. If you want to talk about what that could look like, email me, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. And that's enough yapping from me. Tell your colleagues if you love this podcast, and I'll be back in two weeks with another good one. Bye-bye.